Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, September 11th, 2023. As it is 9-11, we of course remember everyone who lost their lives on this day in 2021, as well as all of the heroes who gave of themselves to help others. Unrelated to the theme of 9-11, we do have a special podcast today. Our guest host is Dr. Stephanie Melka, and her guest is me. So if you have any interest in who I am and what makes me tick, this is the podcast for you. On the other hand, if you find me horribly annoying and typically only tune into this podcast to hear what my guests have to say, then you may want to skip this one. Thank you, Melka, for doing this. As a reward, for the upcoming two weeks, we're going to get more Melka podcasts. Next week, in preparation for Yom Kippur, we're going to drop the podcast Melka and I did on fasting and pregnancy. That's a redrop, and we've been doing it every year pretty much. In two weeks, which is in fact Yom Kippur, we're going to redrop the podcast of Melka telling her own birth story. So basically, starting today, it's back to back to back Melka. What could be better than that? All right. Reminder for all you listening on Apple or Spotify, we would love it if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. And if you can leave comments, that'd be great. Also, reminder to please email us any questions you might have for our mailbag. We dropped our third mailbag last week, and the more questions you send, the more mailbags we're going to do. To send them in, you can email us at hw@healthfulwoman.com, or you can go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com, and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, if you want to pre-order the book Emily Oster and I wrote called The Unexpected, we have a link on our website. Please take a look at that. Thank you for listening. See you all next week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Hi, this is Melka. Welcome to Healthful Woman. I have taken over. I'm your first guest host with our fearless leader, Dr. Nathan Fox. Hi. <laughs> I'm interviewing him for his own podcast. Beautiful. You have so many listeners and we don't know anything about you. Mm, I'm a mystery. And now we're going to break that down. All right. Hit so, me. Hit me. me. I'm, it's gl I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Malka. <laughs> this is really kind of you. I, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I gave him no choice. Yes, it's all good. I'm I'm happy to do it. It's, um, you know, I should, if I can dish it out, I should be able to take it myself. So I'm, I'm in the hot seat. We're not doing a mailbag. There's no medical questions. So just social. Beautiful. So, tell me about yourself. Yeah. What do you want to know? Where are you from? <laughs> Where did you grow up? So I was uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, which- Lovely little town. Awesome. A big fan of the city, big fan of Chicago. So I was born and raised there. Uh, my parents are both from there. And I was there through high school. And then after high school, I went uh, abroad for a year to Israel. And then I went to college in New York, which was, I'd only been to New York twice before in my life for like once for model UN and once for a basketball <laughs> tournament. I'm not, I didn't know much of anything. I wasn't a big traveler, hit New York, went to college. And that's where I, I met my wife. So I've been stuck here ever since. What brought you to New York? So it's interesting when I was, I was not what you would call a serious student in high school. You know, I got, I mean, I guess I got pretty good grades, you know, I was bright and it wasn't like I blew off school. Like I went every day and, you know, I wasn't like a big troublemaker or anything, mm -hmm. but I just, I, I didn't really think too much about my future, so to speak. <laughs> and I was just on this story recently. So 
when it was time to apply for college. I know nowadays I have kids applying to college or in college and it's like psycho and I get it. It's like, that's the world we live in now. And back then it was definitely different. It wasn't as different as I'm about to describe. I was an outlier <laughs> then also, but I really did not care. I had, I put no thought into it. I did not care. I applied. I was going to apply to only one school, which was going to be Yeshiva University in New York. And I figured, yeah, I have friends who go there. I know people went there. I probably get in. Seems fine. And so I applied there. Fun fact, they sent me back. This is all by mail at the time. A letter saying, you know, you actually do have to write the essay because I figured I'll just get in like whatever they'll take me. <laughs> and so they'll, and so I actually for the essay, I was so irritated oh. that they wanted me to write an essay. I'm like, tell me, tell me, what did you write your essay about? So I didn't. So they they. <laughs> I was like, so you're, I'm like, of course you're going to take me. Like, I'm like, I have good grades. I'm a nice guy. Like, why wouldn't, like, why wouldn't you take me? It's not like they were that rigorous. So I actually pulled out one of my school notebooks, like an assignment. And I just tore it out of the notebook. Like, you know, like not even like, not like a loose leaf. It was one of those, you know, notebooks with the spirals. I tore it out, handwritten, folded it up and just mailed it to them. (laughs) They accepted me. And so I was sitting, I remember in history class and Justine Levin, who was sitting next to me, whose mother was our guidance counselor, Mrs. Cynthia Levin. Justine said to me, where are you applying to college? I said, I'm applying to YU. She goes, you can apply anywhere else. I'm like, no. She's like, well, why don't you apply to Columbia? So I said, oh, where's Columbia? (laughs) I never, I'd never heard of it. I'm hundred percent honest here. I'd never heard of Columbia university. She's like, maybe it's an Ivy league school. It's in New York city. I'm like, Oh, who knew? So I okay. went there. So I went to her mother's office. And at the time, this is again, pre-internet at the time that she just had stacks of brochures from the colleges that, you know, local colleges and, you know, Ivy league schools and places around the country that, you know, kids from my high school had gone to. And I pulled one from Penn, one from Brandeis and one from Columbia. Uh, I knew about Penn and Brandeis because my older brother had applied to them. And I pulled all three and I only applied to Columbia because they were of the three, they only required one essay. (laughs) Penn required three, Brandeis required five. I said, there's no way I'm applying to these schools. (laughs) So I applied to Columbia. I wrote my essay famously about the bathrooms at Wrigley Field, Mm -hmm. uh, about the toilets there. And I think it was actually a tremendous college essay. It's probably what got me in. And ultimately I got in off the wait list and I said, all right, I'm going to Columbia. So that's how I chose New York. It was, again, not much uh, deep thought process there. Did you know then you were heading into medicine? I did not know then. I, I had an inkling that I might. So in my house growing up, my my father's a doctor. His father was a doctor. And it seemed like cool. Like, okay, you know, I'm, I was, you know, I was, my strength was more math and science. I was predominantly illiterate before college. Um, I didn't read much. I was a horrible writer, uh, but I was, you know, I was good at math and I, you know, I, I got it like math and science was my thing. So I said, okay, that's good. And again, I didn't put too much thought into it. When I started college, I started pre-med, but then I definitely thought maybe I wouldn't do it. And then I quickly came back to it. I didn't greatly consider any other careers. At one point I thought maybe architecture, yeah, but I have a horrible sense of design. I mean, horrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I can understand the geometry of architecture. Like, I guess I'd be more better, more like a structural engineer, engineer. than art. Because I have no style. I have no <laughs> panache, like nothing. We I would know. be, I'd be horrible. <laughs> I would just, I, I, I could build like factories, you know, I suppose. But uh, ultimately I didn't even think about that too much. So it was, 
pretty much met at medicine from day one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and you said you met your now wife in college. Yeah. So we met freshman year. She was at Barnard. I was at Columbia. It's interesting because we had each met all of the other's friends <laughs> beforehand. Like in our year in Israel, you know, a lot of, when you come out of a Jewish high school, a lot of the kids nowadays, it's like 90% will go to Israel for the year. It's just like a thing to do. Everyone does it. There's programs for it. I mean, there's, there's, there's boys programs, there's girls programs, there's like university programs, there's travel programs, like pretty much everyone does it. And so you, you meet like kids from around the country, you know, around the world even, who are your age and doing the same thing. So I knew all of her friends and she knew all of my friends, but we had never met, just coincidentally, we never met. And I remember we're sitting at at kosher meal plan and it was Hawaiian chicken night. And I was sitting across from this, you know, nice girl, young woman, whatever we call freshmen nowadays at Barnard. And we're talking and it came out at some point that she played tennis, I think for her high school tennis mm -hmm. team. And I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I'm a nice guy. I'm just trying to make friends here. So I said, Oh, I also play tennis. <laughs> Maybe we should play sometime. Right. That's like, it's not a sure. pickup line. Like, that's a very Midwestern thing yeah. to do. Just, hey, we'll play tennis sometime. And so she looked at me and said, well, you're any good? <laughs> and I was like, ooh. Nice. I'm I, was like, I was like, I'm intrigued. And I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, like, if we play, like, are you going to suck? Are you going to hit into the net every time? It's going to be like really annoying. Are you good? Are you going to kill me? Like this, that. And I was like, wow, I've never met anyone like this before. <laughs> I think I'm in love. Yeah, and so I, I asked her out shortly thereafter. We went to Disney on Ice for our first date. We sat in the second to last row because, uh, I mean, just like $15 tickets yeah. or whatever it is. I remember I had to, for our first date, we had a, we had a mutual friend who said to me, Nadia, what are you going to wear on this date? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I was like, I'll wear my clothes. She's like, dude, you can't wear high tops acid wash jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> on a date with her. I was like, well, I don't have any other clothing. So I had to borrow a button down shirt, a proper shirt from Robbie Finkelstein. He had one and I still wore the acid wash jeans because that's my pants. And I had to buy a pair of shoes. I had no shoes. I just had sneakers, like high tops. And so I went to Harry's Shoes on the West Side. I bought my first pair of proper brown shoes or then the date. We were in the real cheap seats. She said, oh, look, there's our, our high school custodian is like the section in front of us. And yeah, and we, I, I was in, in love immediately. Did you uh, ever, I don't know how she felt, but I was in love immediately. Yeah. Did you ever play tennis? Yes. And Did you suck? No, I crushed her. <laughs> crushed her. Um, she's a great tennis player. You know, I'm, I'm a foot taller than her. So, you know, I've reached and, you know, I guess I, at the time served harder than her, you know, whatever it's, it was, She's a really, really good tennis player, but I did beat her and we still, or I still hold it over her for sure. <laughs> so shocked. yeah, but we didn't play till, I think it was like that winter. She came to Chicago to visit me during winter break and we went to like the local tennis club or something. She probably wouldn't have married you if you crushed her at the start. Or she couldn't, maybe she would have respected me more. I'm not sure. I mean, that when we first met, she's seeing a guy again in high tops, jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> from the Midwest, who's a little strange and probably uncomfortably friendly to her. <laughs> and I impressed her because I was, I was also kind of gross. I mean, still kind of gross, but I, I did the thing where you take a, a, a chicken leg and you put the whole thing in your mouth and then you just you pull, pull out, out the, the bone. bone. Like they yeah. do with the wing bowl. Yeah. The, so that, your, the wing eating competent. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, that was, that was one of my moves and I'm sure she thought it was <laughs> horrific, but she's like, Oh, it's a little different than all the 
you know, normal guys. Oh, the rough know. New Yorkers around Yeah, here. so they weren't, they weren't doing that. Yeah, so we, I mean, we started dating the very beginning of college. Uh, I knew very soon that, like, I'm marrying this woman. I think she came around to it eventually. <laughs> and we got married in college. We were juniors. I was, 20, I was 21 years old. She had just turned 22. She's a few months older than me. And, and everyone and, in New York at the time remembers the weekend of your wedding. Yes, it was the, anyone who was alive in January of 1996, there was a four foot snowfall uh, on that day, the blizzard of 96. And that was during our wedding. (laughs) So it was quite, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it's memorable. I mean, literally just last summer. So in 2022, I was at a wedding and the guy at the band, the keyboardist was the guy who played at our wedding. And I went up to him. I said, Hey, say hello. I'm Nady Fox. He goes, oh my God, Blizzard of 96. <laughs> so he said, that was unbelievable because the wedding was a Sunday and pretty much everyone was stuck at the venue till Tuesday or Wednesday. They closed the turnpike. Like that's, literally they closed amazing. it. You couldn't get anywhere. None of the flights went out. And it was just like a three-day, it was awesome. They emptied the bar of all the alcohol. <laughs> the caterer had a ton of, they kept serving food from the wedding. Just like, you know, they kept serving whatever they could. Um, it was really awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was, you know, for some people stressful, but us, we had a great time. All our friends were there for three days. It was, it was really pretty cool. Yeah. That's so that was awesome. our wedding. Yeah. Blizzard nice. 96. Nice. Good times. So you finished college mm-hmm. and you go right to med school. Yeah. At Sinai. So I actually, I graduated college in a semester early. Of course. Yeah. I guess it was, <laughs> it was probably the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. I was like, yeah, I'll graduate early. It'd be great. And then I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? So I worked at a bank, Bear Stearns, from January to August as a temp, like as a secretary. I wasn't a banker. I was like literally like I was doing someone's like travel plans and like, you know, typing things. I couldn't type. I was, I don't know. My mom worked for AT&T and had Bear Stearns as a client. Interesting. Very well might have overlapped. I remember. Yeah, there was Hans Bold was the name (laughs) of the the guy in charge of our group. I'll never forget that name. Hans Bold. But yes, I worked as like a secretary for eight months. We had to leave housing because I was, when we got married, right, you can't live in the dorms really right. as a married, I guess you could, but we didn't want to. And so I went to the dean of students. I'm like, what do I do about housing? He's like, huh, I don't know what we do about housing. He's like, this doesn't come up often. And apparently Columbia guaranteed housing to all of their undergrads and they didn't specify single. And so he said, I guess if you show me like, your wedding invitation, like some proof that you're like not bullshitting me, that you're really getting married, <laughs> we'll get you an apartment. So I, we went into grad, st- grad student housing at Columbia. We lived on 112th and Broadway across from Tom's, which is the famous diner oh, from Seinfeld. Yes. We, lived, okay. li- they, we looked at our window mm-hmm. and saw that sign. And we were, it was an unbelievable housing. It was a 542 West 112 Street, apartment <laughs> 2H. Wow, what a place. Great rent. It probably uh, cost like 500 a month. At the day it was like 800, mm-hmm. but it was, it was less than we had been paying combined for our housing at college, sure. right? Whatever, let's say we each paid 500 a month. Mm-hmm. This was less than a thousand a month. And so we moved in there. But after I graduated a semester early, we got kicked out of housing. And Barnard does not support their students marrying in college and was not going to offer us housing. <laughs> they were, I think, very disappointed in that. And so we we moved to Riverdale for eight months. We subleased from the Cornblows, who were in Israel at the time. We subleased a two-bedroom there. We had a lot of friends there at the time, so it was nice. And then I started Mount Sinai in I guess August or September, whenever you start medical school. And then we moved to Sinai Married Housing at Park in 96, 1245 Park. Still is Sinai Housing. Still, we, were, we were there for 
eight great years. Love that building. Loved it. Nice. What amazing housing. Nice. Yeah, we had a Smitty, Jose, Malcolm, <laughs> with all the guys at the front. Then there's some of them are still there. Yeah, great building. It was great neighborhood. The rent, it was more than we were paying before, but it was well under market value. It was, it was awesome. And walking distance to the hospital. What more could you want? Walking distance to the hospital. We were near Central Park. I mean, it was- the subway. Yeah, it's it was, it's a great location. It was really, really good. We're very happy there. Yeah. Yeah. So in med school, mm -hmm. when did you decide on OB? So when I was at Sinai, they had this program for the second year med students. The, the curriculum is a little different from what it is now, but as a second year med student in, I think- the second semester or whatever it is, you had an afternoon a week where you were supposed to do something clinical, like either shadow a doctor, go to the emergency room or something, because it was mostly classroom during the first two years. And there was a guy in Mount Sinai, his name was Jay Bauman, he was an OBGYN. And I don't know why I asked him where I got hooked up with him. I don't remember how that happened, but I would go with him, I'd go to his office on Tuesday afternoons mm -hmm. and I would see patients with him. And Jay was a great OB. Mm -hmm. I mean, his patients loved him. He saw a ton of people. He was really nice to them. He was really nice to me. He would you know, let me see patients with him and he would teach me. And then he said, hey, if you want like to do deliveries with me, just let me know. And I said, yeah, I'd love that. So I, I got a, I got a beeper, nice. right? This is, this is, I mean, before cell phone, pre-cell phone. I mean, the only people at beepers back then were med students and drug dealers, right? <laughs> and so I was certainly not the latter. Um, I think like the cleanest guy ever. So I got a beeper and if he had someone in labor at night, usually Tuesday nights, but sometimes other, he would page me and I would come in. So it was so cool. I'm a second year med student and I'm coming in 10 at night, 11 at night. I'm doing a delivery with him, doing a section with him. And it was amazing. Like I loved it. It was so cool. So I was really intrigued by OB. Now, obviously, had I done that with general surgery, that would have been very cool too, or medicine or cardiology. But it definitely, it was the first time I thought about OBGYN as a possible mm -hmm. field. Like I didn't, I certainly going into medical school had no idea what <laughs> I wanted to do. I mean, really, I can't think of it at all what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And my father's a neurologist. My father-in-law was a gastroenterologist, which are very different, but okay, they're both interesting. And then when I did my clinical rotations, my third year, my first rotation was OBGYN. I had an amazing rotation. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I did it at Mount Sinai. And pretty much every rotation after that, I compared to OB. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I liked a lot. Most, you know, most people break down into like people who like things and people who don't, right? So I liked pretty much all the rotations. The only one I really didn't, I didn't like psychiatry too much. Just because I think the experience I had was not very good. You sort of found yourself rooting for the patients over the doctors, mm. you know, like, yep. you're, you're like, I really go, I, I side with the schizophrenic on this one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm with them. So it was, that was, uh, but I think it's just because it was inpatient psychiatry, which is very different from outpatient. They're much sicker. It's a much different situation. And it's very painful because they're all, none of them want to be there. It's very, very hard. And I didn't really like pediatrics. I thought it was almost like veterinary care. Like the kids, I, I felt bad. The kids had no say. It was all like, it's like the parents. And I said, I had like a roof for the underdog. Same way. I just felt like, nice. hey, like, like, what does he have to say about this? Or what does she mm -hmm. think? You know? So there's only two I really knew I wouldn't do. I, I like medicine. I like neurology. I love general surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew I didn't want to be a general surgeon, but I love general surgery. Yeah. The great Brian Katz, 
was my preceptor. It was just amazing. Uh, and then ultimately, I was like, you know what? I really just love OB. I like the science of it. It's fun. It's interesting. It's good for someone who's got a short attention span and likes <laughs> moving from one place to another. And, you know, one day I'm seeing patients all day in the office. The other day I'm operating. The other day I'm on the labor floor. And I love that, you know. Sums it up perfectly. Yeah. And so it's, it was, and, it, and also I, I, I knew I was interested in it. Meaning yeah. a lot of, this was sort of the first, when I was in med school, sort of the first time people started talking about like quality of life and, you know, balance and wellness. It, it really it was like the seeds. Like before that in medicine, you just got killed. Like, yes. like, you know, forget it. You're getting beaten to death for like your whole training. And I was like the beginning of that renaissance was when I was in med school, but I never, I was like, well, I'm going to go into field because it's easier, but like, if I don't like it, I'll be bored. And yeah. so I really didn't want to be bored. I bore easily. So yeah. So, and then I really, I did a lot of electives for OB. I did like a Eurogyne elective. I did oncology elective and I did, you know, MFM. I really, I loved all of it. And so I was, I was pretty certain I was doing OB. Nice. Yeah. And somewhere around this time was when you and Mikhail had the twins. Right. So they were in born. Yes. Okay. So they were born in November of 1999, right before Y2K. <laughs> they were literally born right between my it was between my OB. No, it wasn't OB. It was right after my peds rotation. Mm -hmm. Right. She was, that's right. She was pregnant during my OB rotation, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and then they were born when I was on my peds rotation, which was definitely a wrench <laughs> in the system when you're a third year med student. Now you have twin newborns, but it was, it was, I mean, my wife's a, is a saint. Like it was really she took the brunt of that, obviously. I couldn't even take care of myself as a med student. You're, you're married, you got kids. That's so like yeah. way ahead of the game. It's what, what was that like? So people asked me at the time because it was, you know, my class, we definitely had, there were plenty of people who were married. Some of them were older. Like I was, you know, I sort of, you know, went high school, other than the year high school, college, med school, like the traditional path. So I was on the, the cohort of like younger med students. Mm -hmm. But there were certainly people who were, you know, five, 10, 15 years older than us. So many of them were already married. Maybe they're, you know, they're going back to school, whatever it is. I always felt it was better in a sense for me because I didn't have to worry about my social life, right? So when you're a med student, you don't, it's hard to have a social life when you're a med student or a resident because you, you work really hard and you're in school and you're studying and then you have to like, all right, I got to go out. Do I go to a party? Do I go to a bar? Do I go on dates? Do I, you know, what do I do on weekends? And it's, it can be very stressful because either you're trying to do things and you don't have time to study or you're not doing them and you feel like you're only studying like mm -hmm. such a loser, like you're, you know, it's like miserable. I came home every day, you know, my, my wife is there, my kids are there. It was wonderful. And, and I was, you know, I definitely have friends. I mean, you know, my friends from school, you know, beforehand and in, in med school, I made a lot of friends. So I was social, but I didn't feel any pressure to be social. Like it just sort of was waiting for me. So I felt it kind of grounded me, which nice. was nice. And also made my hours much more regular. Like I would go in the morning, go to class, study, and then come home like early evening. And then I was pretty much done. Like it was like yeah. a job because, you know, you're in class for like three hours. And so I would just sit and study at school for four to five hours. And then when I got home, I didn't feel like I had to study at night so much. Like a lot of my classmates would in the afternoon, like go work out, go mm -hmm. do stuff, go to the movies, take a nap. And then they would study at night. And I didn't, I was much more regimented, I think, because my family. That's amazing. Yeah, it worked out nicely. I really, they were really cute kids also. <laughs> they were good. They were fun. We had, it was, we had a lot of fun then. It was, 
It was also crazy because Michal was, she was in school mm-hmm. doing, at the time she was doing her, her PsyD, you know, she was in school full time. And when the kids were born, we had to have like someone come to our house and watch the kids during the day. And whichever one of us got home first would relieve them and feed them. So I really like, I couldn't come home until I was like ready to be dad. Yeah. But it worked out well. So evenings we're dealing with them. My daughter was a psycho for the first six months. She didn't sleep. She just <laughs> cried the whole time. Uh, so we had to, you know, deal with her. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, I look, I really enjoyed medical school. I look back on it quite fondly. Yeah. And then that regimented schedule must have continued into residency and in turn year. Your residency even more so. I mean, residency is, is really brutal. I mean, you're waking up. It is. I mean, and I was, you know, we had the work restrictions that they have now because in New York, they were sort of ahead of the game with, you know, limiting to 80 hours a week and, you know, 24 hours and not more. I mean, it was, were I they think, followed back then? They were followed. I mean, Ish. I think they weren't as militant about it now, you know, then as they are now, meaning it wasn't like a hard stop at 24 mm-hmm. or so and so like drop what you're doing and get out of here. But it was like, yeah, you go home the next morning. Yeah. And so I thought it was very reasonable. I mean, it's hard, but it wasn't crazy, but you're working 80 hours a week, every week. That's a typical work week is 40 hours. So you're working twice as many hours as you know yes. most people are. So I woke up very early, which was never a big issue for me. And then, yeah, when I would come home, that's it. I was home. It was great mm-hmm. to come home to my kids, my wife. It was, you know, I, you do have to do more at night as a resident. Sometimes you have to read or this. And, but it was, you know, the weekends I was off. I didn't have to worry about what am I doing? We had stuff going on and it was actually nice. The, she would frequently, if I was on call, like on a Saturday, she'd walk over with the kids and bring them to the labor floor and like, oh all, God, you know, the, so yeah, and they would eat, they would eat, you know, graham crackers and apple juice <laughs> that's what we had on the labor floor. And the, the nurses got to know them and the residents. I mean, I, I still like some of the nurses on KP4 still ask me about my kids. Cause I, you know, they'd come by and we live so close. It yeah. was really, it was really easy. You know, there's no commute basically. Mm-hmm other than we were covering Elmhurst, which is a little bit of a commute, but nothing crazy. So it was, it was, it was good. And we had our, our third, Neely was born when I was a third year resident. And in fact, people ask how much paternity leave I got. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Uh, she was, she was born on a Thursday. I didn't work that day. I worked Friday sure. and I was on call for the weekend. Oh, fine. And so I was the resident on call when Michal was in the hospital. Did you have to round on her? So I didn't um, <laughs> round on her. We we sort of, we knew, we knew the proper boundaries. Uh, I visited her obviously. And I figured, well, she's there. My daughters are like, why not take call? Like, what am I gonna do at home? Like, I'd rather be in the hospital. But she, she did astutely say about her roommate. She's like, do you know this doctor? So-and-so I'm like, yeah. She's like, he's kind of terrible, right? I was like, I was like, why do you say that? She's like, cause I heard him talking to the patient across from me and did not sound too impressive. She was correct. Um, no that, longer Mount Sinai, but- um, Amazing. Yeah, so I got no paternity leave. And then we had, yeah, so that was during my third year. So for half of my residency, we had two kids and the other half, we had three kids all shoved into that apartment <laughs> in 1245 Park, which not complaining about all three kids in my bedroom. It's great. Loved it. And then you leave Mount Sinai for Cornell Fellowship. Yeah, right? that's- yeah. That's, that right? Okay. Yeah, that's another crazy story. So I was- so in my class for oh, residency- Oh, yes. Who was your class? Right. So there's, in my time, there were seven, okay. right? And of the seven of us, four were going to go into maternal field medicine, do MFM. So my class was me, Manesh Kfir, who doing MFM, mm-hmm. Ryan Longman, aka Longpants, who is going to do MFM, Lara Friel, who is going to do MFM. So the four of us during MFM, then there was Carmeet at the time, Archibald, Sterren, now Archibald, and there was uh, Julie Clark and Christina Tassi. 
Okay. So that was us. Christine and I were the the um, chief residents, the admin chiefs, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah admin um, chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although we were both good cop, which is why we were not very effective. So the four of us want to do MFM, but I was the only one who wanted to stay local. Menesh went out to San Diego. He's still in Southern Cal. Ryan went to Michigan. Lara went to like Detroit, Wayne State. And one, two, three. Oh, now I'm the fourth. So I wanted, I wanted to stay at Mount Sinai and I like them. They like me. There's a match, but it was like, all right, you know, listen, I'll rank you first. You rank me first. Mm -hmm. We're done. So I really didn't look around. I interviewed at NYU was not, I did not think that was so great. Interestingly, when I interviewed at NYU, Andre Rebarbo was at MFM there. <laughs> I didn't, inter I did not interview with him. It was actually someone else who ran the fellowship. I interviewed at Cornell and I interviewed at Columbia. That's it. Those three in Sinai. But I knew I was staying at Sinai, so no big deal. And two weeks before the list is due, like you have to hand in your, yes. it's called a rank list. I got called into the, to Joanne's office. Uh, she was the head of MFM. And she said, Nadie, we, we just lost our fellowship, right? Because they, a lot of attendings had left. It was just her and Keith at the time. And she said, the board took away our fellowship. And she said, I'm pretty sure we can get it back, right? Like, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll fix what they need to fix, but I can't like in good conscience tell you to wait and hope that we get it back. She goes, you really should go to a different place. And so I, I didn't want to go to NYU. I was deciding between Cornell, Columbia. I think both were options for me just based on conversations, but ultimately I wanted to go to Cornell and that's where I end up. Ironically, one of the fixes to them losing the fellowship is recruiting this practice from NYU that had two MFMs, Andre Rebarber oh. and Daniel Saltzman. And so they actually came to Sinai so they could get the fellowship back. This is when I was finishing residency, 2005, 2000, 2004, 2005. And so in 2005, in June, when they came, I still had three weeks left of residency. So we overlapped at Mount Sinai for three weeks and I was finishing and they had just showed up and then three years later, I took a job with them. I never knew this. Yeah, see, so that was- Small world. Yeah, so they got the fellowship back mm -hmm. and Lauren Ferrara took that spot. Mm -hmm. So Lauren and I are the same year. Okay. So she was ultimately Sinai, I was at Cornell. And as it turned out, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to my career that I ended up at Cornell. I mean, there's there's some comfort in doing your fellowship the same place you do residency. You know, we had our apartment. I knew the people. They knew me. I liked them. They liked mm -hmm. me. And that's there's a big advantage to that. But there's a disadvantage because you don't learn new ways of doing things, right? There's different ways to do things. So when I went to Cornell, which is 20 blocks away, but it's like going to a different like universe. Mm -hmm. You know, no one at Cornell ever trained at Sinai. No one from Sinai ever trained at Cornell. It's like, these <laughs> I went to Cornell, they're like, they're like, oh yeah, where's Mount Sinai? I'm like, it's right there. <laughs> it's that building. You can see it from the window. It's like so close, but they're so far apart. But I learned like totally different skills that, yeah. than I'd learned at Mount Sinai. I really, you know, I got to learn like Steve Chasen was my mentor and, you know, he taught me how to do research and, you know, it was a different way of looking at ultrasound maybe. And it was just, it was great for me. It was a really good experience to do three or somewhere else. And then ultimately I did come back to Mount Sinai for for my job, my first job. And we started at Sinai on the first day together. <laughs> you wouldn't remember it, but your first day back. July 1, 2008. Whatever that Monday was, <laughs> you did the first ever Fox Rounds with Janine Popo. Oh, and that's I was right. there as an intern sitting there like, please don't call on me. I don't know anything. Right. So July 1, 2008, which was my first day on the job, 
was a Monday, Mm -hmm. I believe. And that's when we did the rounds. July 2, 2008 was my first day on the labor floor (laughs) uh, with Dan. And that's the day we did seven deliveries, including four C-sections, one hysterectomy, it was like the craziest thing ever. I was like, I was like, what, what the hell is going on here with you like, guys? What did I sign up yeah. for? And, oh my God. and they were like, this is an unusual day for us too. <laughs> like, this is not what every day is going to be like. But I remember I was like, is this my first day? I've got a patient in the intensive care unit. Like what's going on here? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Andre drove me in. We came, <laughs> went rounding on like the weekend in the, in the ICU. I was like, oh my God, Andre, I didn't, <laughs> you did not tell me about this, but <laughs> So that's the first day trial, trial by fire, as I say, but everyone's okay. All worked out well. Amazing. Yes. That takes us through 2008. Starting starting here. Yes. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) And that's when we met. Yep. What was so, yeah. So now I'm going to throw it back at you. Oh God. What what was, was all y'all's impression of me at the beginning, the early years, Fox, the early years. We were all like, oh my God, this guy knows his shit. We got to be careful. Like we can't, we can't just bullshit him and pretend like we read the article. Like you got to uh, actually read it. Right. I was, I was illiterate in high school, but I learned to read afterwards. <laughs> so now I can read. That it's, came through sometime in college? Um, A little bit in kind yeah. I mean, at Columbia, they make you read a ton. It's like crazy. You're, you're like, you're like, all right, read these 600 pages uh-huh. in the next week. I was like, what? I've read 600 pages yeah. in my life. Yeah, I guess what in college. I, this is actually what I remember as an intern. You, I forget the exact thing, but it was something going on with a patient that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And you, the labor floor wasn't busy. You took my vocera, you gave it to the chief and you said, I'm taking her to learn how to talk mm-hmm. to this patient. And it was just sit down 40 minutes, just not a good pregnancy going mm-hmm. over everything. And I was like, nobody has done that for me before. Oh, so you can't, you mean, cause you can't be disturbed Correct. during the- Correct, during you were the, like, the... you're not getting phone calls. Mm-hmm. You're not getting called out of the room. You're part of this case. Oh. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> that was nice of me. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I was, I, I was really, you know, the journal club, the Monday morning. I don't remember whose idea that was, if it was Janine's or if it was mine, but we both really liked the idea. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of meeting with the residents every week. I mean, I was, I was always- you know, I, I love that camaraderie mm-hmm. and just interaction, you know, when I, when I was a resident and then when I was a fellow, I did it at Cornell a lot. And I thought it'd be pretty cool because I'm joining like, quote unquote, a private practice. It would give me a chance to be with the residents. It's been in two weeks. It'll be 15 years yeah. every Monday. Yeah. I, have, I have every article, by the way, I emailed out. Oh, Still, really? Every single one. I have them all. Well, you just reply to your own email. Yeah. So you probably can just scroll back. I save them years. all. I save all those emails. <laughs> I can go all the way back to 2008 from all the articles we did. It was really, and I, I, every single person who went through that, so you're talking 15 years of, you know, seven or eight residents, so whatever, 120 plus yeah. minus, I always invite them to stay on the list. And I would say most say yes, a few opt out, which is fine. And then, I, so I'm still in touch with all these residents from all these years past. You know, That's I send awesome. out the articles, occasionally someone say, oh my God, I love this article, or Sometimes you, you think pick about an it? article because <laughs> it was written by a Sinai alum. Occasionally. I, my one rule is I never reviewed any of my own articles. I didn't, I just thought, (laughs) I just thought it wasn't cool. And also I think that people might be afraid to criticize. I wouldn't, I'd be happy to criticize my own articles. I mean, they're all no articles perfect. So there's always room to say what a strength and weakness is, but I never wanted to do it. I also thought it'd be a little like, like, that's not the point of this. Like it's not, you know, so I never reviewed one of my own articles and I did love it when it was like, former Sinai residents yeah. or a fellow or this, I just said, you know what? Like this came out of Sinai. Yeah. Let's like, 
let's look at it and talk about it. And, you know, but I usually would try to go easy on them. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, everyone knows this person or this, you don't want to like give them a hard time. But even when I, when I, when I would quote unquote criticize the articles, I would say like, like the authors of this article know this, like these are yeah. smart people. They know this is a weakness. Like yeah. you're usually just limited by what, what you have. It's not that their like brain power isn't high. <laughs> it's just that you can only, you know, report what data you have. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just limited. So, yeah. So, yeah. And then when did you know you wanted to work with us? Now I'm throwing it back at you again. Oh man. Were you pining for a job from day one? Were you like, oh, I got to get with these guys. Did I tell you the story? I don't know. I, I haven't listened to my interview. I don't know if I told you this. I'd always, I went into labor thinking I want to be an oncologist because like mm-hmm. they're badasses. They can do everything. Yeah. And then as I go through residency, I realize what you see as an onc sub I or med student or intern is not what being a Jew and oncologist is like. Right. I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to do that. And then I like doing deliveries. And I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to be a generalist, mm-hmm. not just a generalist. Yeah. I'm going to be a generalist. Yeah. And then somewhere in third year, you were like, Melka, what are you doing next year? And I was like, that sounds like something I would say. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know yet. And you were like, are you thinking you want to stay? And I was like, why are you asking? And you're like, I don't know. We're just, you know, keeping our options open. We'll talk. And I was like, okay. And then start of fourth year, I come back from a vacation and I'm at the hospital checking my email. Cause I think this is even before we had email on our phone, we had mm-hmm. little flip phones. And yeah. There's an email from you that says, please let me know when we can talk. And mm. I was like, oh crap, what did I do? Yeah. And then I guess you got my auto reply and you replied to that. No rush. Let me know when you're back. And mm-hmm. I email you right away. I'm so sorry. I was away. I'm here. Call me, whatever. And there's nothing going on in the labor floor. So I go up to the peds rooftop mm-hmm. to go sit out and, yeah. and hang out yeah. as you do as a fourth year. And you call me and you're like, are you busy? Can you talk? And I was like, what did I do? I was like, I'm just at work. Like I'm worried mm. I'm going to get in trouble. And you're like, well, yeah, cause I, cause I got residents in trouble all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the Melka complex. Yeah. You say you have to talk to me. Yeah. I assume something yeah. is wrong. I, I had no authority to discipline anyone. And yeah. you were like, well, we're expanding. We're looking at hiring. We think you'd be a great fit. Do you want to come work with us next year? And I was like, uh, that's my pitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. And then I was kind of like, well, I want to stay in New York and it can kind of let me be like the guide of the labor floor and do everything. And like, I can come out and do, you know, cerclages and high order sections and twins and keep doing everything. Yeah. Good stuff. And it was really easy. Cause like you had only tried to apply to one college. It was just like, okay, I, I have this. I was like, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Yeah, I, I felt the same way when I. So you might look at it that yeah. way that I was just like, eh, okay, fine. <laughs> you know what? It works. It's it's, but it's like that. I mean, how much can you think about these things? It's the same thing when I I looked at yeah. I looked at two jobs. You know, when I finished, I was like, eh, well, I like this one. Andre's a nice guy. I'll work with him. Like it seems like what I want to do, but because it's you know it, it's. And know, I was like, and this know. sets me up for anything else I want to do. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I'll have the really good obstetric skill set. Right. And career in radio and entertainment. So that's good. I didn't mention, I don't want her to feel left out that when I was a fellow, I did have another child. Okay. (laughs) Sweet, sweet Mia, which is actually the first time that when my wife was having her ultrasounds, I knew what the hell was on the screen. (laughs) So I like, she was the only one where we knew it was a girl because, you know, I just see, you know, what was going on. And, Mm -hmm. and when she was born, 
I was a fellow at Cornell, but I'd come back to Sinai to deliver because that's where my wife's yeah. OBs were, which is really nice because, you know, again, I, I still knew the residents yeah. and the nurses. And I remember Andre was like, we had some, one of his patients labor and he came in and he was like, that guy talks so much. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he does. That, and that was before I was, it was known that I was going to be working with him. This is just a year into my fellowship. But the crazy thing, when I was a fellow, right, I had three little kids and then four little kids, mm -hmm. but you don't make that much money as a fellow. I mean, you're, you, you make maybe enough to cover like one person's living expenses, <laughs> maybe. And, you know, I had like a family. So I was moonlighting my ass off. It was, I, it was just crazy. I was, I, it was insane. I was working at Elmhurst 24 hours, at least a week, like a full day a week. I qualified for benefits there if I wanted. <laughs> uh, so I would, I would work. And that's how I, I got, I got to stay close to the Sinai residence. I was there every Tuesday, right in the morning. I'd be there Tuesday day, take Tuesday night, <laughs> leave Wednesday morning and then go to Cornell for fellowship. And that's since, insane. since I was doing in your second and third year fellowship, you're doing mostly research. Mm -hmm. And I would, I was able to do that. Like I did it, I, I'd bring my laptop sure. and I would do it at the hospital or I would do it nights and weekends. And so no one cared that I did that. I was also moonlighting at Cornell because they needed someone, one of their MFMs left and needed someone to be in their delivery call pool. So mm -hmm. I was on call for Cornell every fifth night. <laughs> and I was working for the ODA in Brooklyn, taking, I would go there one half day a week to do ultrasounds mm -hmm. on patients. And I was on call every third weekend for them. And this addition to my fellowship and I, I needed, those are three like yeah. paying jobs. So I could like, you know, put food on the Feed table. I mean, it was crazy. And so it was when I was, when Mia was born, it was a Saturday and I was on call for the ODA for that weekend. Mm -hmm. And I remember because, I mean, I knew Michal was due. I said to Tepper, I was like, listen, you know, I'm on call this weekend, but if Michal goes into labor, are, are you around to take mm -hmm. over? He's like, yeah, I'm around. I'm in town. Just call me if you need me and I'll come in. It was a summer. So he was yeah. probably, you know, upstate or whatever it is. And he's, I'll come in. It's not a problem. So she delivered on Saturday. There was no one in labor. She delivered on Saturday in the late afternoon. And like literally the second the delivery was done and like Mia's wrapped up and given to Michal, my oh. pager goes off. And I have someone, <laughs> it's her, it's a, it's a Nola, but it's her first baby. She, and she's going to Beth Israel because that's yeah. what they delivered. And I said to Michal, I was like, do you want me to call Tepper? And in true Michal Fox fashion, she's like, no, why would you do that? She's like, she's like, she's like, we're done here. You know, she's like, don't, don't owe him a call. Just go like, like, I don't, need, I don't need you. And yeah. you're going to have to pay him back. So yeah. just, just leave. Yeah, she's like, she's like, the kids are, their kids are at SCNLA source, her brother and sister-in-law. Like I'm good with the baby here. You're not doing anything for me anyways. Maybe it'll get Andre to shut up, you know? So like, just go. So I, I and so I went and I, I didn't disagree with her, but it's kind of bummed out. Like now I'm like driving to Beth Israel. My baby's just born and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be stuck here. Like, all night. Yeah. It's our first baby. So I get there. It's like eight at night. I go in. I mean, it's not her fault. The patient. She's lovely. She's yeah. young. It's her first baby. And I check her and she's fully dilated and ready to push. Nice. Like she showed up like that. She pushed like three times. Huh. The baby was born. I showed her my wristband. I was going to say, yeah. you must have had the dad band. Yeah, on. I showed her my wristband. I said, look, same birthday. And so her <laughs> baby and my baby are the same birthday. And I was literally back in Mount Sinai, like within two or three hours of leaving. And Michael's like, what happened? I was like, you called Baby's Tepper, didn't I was, you? Like, I was like, Baby's born. I was like, it's done. It was, it was like, it was crazy. It was like a miracle because that's not what would be expected. And yeah, and that was pretty cool. So that was, that was Mia's birth. That's Sweet amazing. Mia. Yeah. You have such an extensive pedigree. 45 minutes. <laughs> what do you do outside of work? It's a good question. I do a lot of work. I, nowadays, I, honestly, there's nothing 
It sounds cliche. I'm just happy to sit at home with my family. Like, <laughs> I mean, like the pandemic was delightful for me in that sense that I really, I really enjoy my kids. They're older. And so they're not like, I'm not like, I don't have to like tell them to brush their teeth or like, you know, <laughs> bathe them or feed them or like put they're their socks on. Yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, they're adults. I mean, so I, I like hanging out with them. They're fun. They're funny. They're interesting. So that's like, they're wonderful. They're great. I have great, <laughs> I have great kids. I've I been mean, to Shabbat dinner at the Fox. Yeah. So, so wonderful family. Yeah. So Michal and I have a great marriage. We, we appropriately, you know, deal with each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we know we hang out. We enjoy spending time together our, our, with our kids. So that's great. Yeah. I run, I swim, you know, I you do. watch I, bad action movies. I, I like watching bad yes. movies. I play, you know, I sort of play in a band like music. I dabble <laughs> just as a, as Tell a hobby. about this band. Yeah, so we, uh, it's it's like a fantasy camp. It's it's five, <laughs> like, it's five, like, amateurs at, at various levels and three pros. Mm -hmm. And we practice twice a month and then we put on a concert, like, once a year. And so when you're with three, it's like if I were to play pickup basketball with, like, the Duke basketball team, right? <laughs> it's awesome, right? It's not like, I'm no good, but to play with those guys, it's unbelievable. And they yeah. make you better and they teach you. And, like, so when we play, like, I'm a, I sing and I play guitar, but I just started learning guitar. So I'm, I mean, I'm terrible at guitar. Like mm -hmm. I can play chords, but I'm, I'm not a good guitar player. But when I play with them, it sounds good. Cause they'll, they'll tell me what to do. They'll say, yeah. Oh no, no, like, like hold the, hold it this way. Play this chord. Don't play this, do it yeah. this way. Here's how you strum. And they play. So you can't sound bad if you have like, a, sure. you know, a professional, <laughs> like, like a pro guitarist with you. So that's a really cool hobby. I, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy that. a lot. And you know, I, we, we hang out, we have a bunch of friends in our neighborhood nice. and you know, we travel from time to time. I like sitting on a beach, looking at the water, reading. That's it. And you do the podcast. And I do the podcast. The podcast is a, a new love of mine. It's taken off. What prompted you to start this? I started the podcast because I would say mostly I was doing a ton of time on research, mm -hmm. which I loved and I still love, but I really wanted to pivot. You know, I've been doing it for 10 plus years, 15 years and sort of like do something that was more for the, for my audience, right? Who's my audience, my patients, right? And so my patients aren't reading my articles and like, why would they? Like, it's mm -hmm. ridiculous. And so there's not even doctors reading them. Like, no one reads yeah. them and you do it because it's interesting and it's intellectual, but I just felt there was something that there was a void mm -hmm. in this, what the kids call space, yes. you know, where there's something for pregnancy and women's health. That's number one, not boring mm -hmm. and number two, accurate. And I just, I couldn't find anything really like that. I found some that were like interesting, but very shallow and some that were accurate, but horrifically boring. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, oh my God. And I just started to listen to podcasts myself at the time. So I had a sense of like, mm -hmm. which ones are good, which ones aren't, how long yeah. should they be, what the format. And I said like, what the hell, let's do it. It was a small investment in money. I mean, just to buy the equipment. Yeah. Uh, it was mostly time and we started toying around with it. And then- the pandemic hit, so we had a lot of stuff to talk about and then really start taking off. I mean, listen, I mean, anyone, if you're still listening 45 minutes after this <laughs> stupid interview, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's a void out there. It's hard to get good information. These are topics that people are curious about. You Google about it. You have no idea what to read and what not to read. And we, we try to contextualize it, keep it light. People, I mean, I have so many patients who say, oh my God, you're the guy from the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am. And it's like, and I say like, that's great that you live with that. Let's talk about that. Um, but it's great. And when I hear people tell me that they learn something from the podcast or they appreciate the podcast or it helped them, again, it could be our patients. It could be some someone random from mm -hmm. another state or country. 
I think it's awesome. Like I, it gives me a lot of, certainly a lot of satisfaction, but just, it just makes me happy. Like that's why we yeah. do it. It's cool. Is there anything about this that surprised you or that you didn't expect or something you thought that would happen that didn't? From the podcast? Yes. I am surprised how many people listen. I, I was, you know, we had like, when we started again, like, I was like, oh my God, we got a hundred listens. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's so cool. And we have like thousands and thousands who yeah. listen every week, which is, again, it's just, I never thought it would be that sort of busy. I mean, I never expected to be like, you know, Bill Simmons have like millions. I like, guess it's just not, there's no audience yeah. for that. It's not, it's not meant to be like for everybody, but that was one thing. I was really not surprised, but I never paid a lot of attention to, I guess, like the experience of birth for people. Like, obviously I know about it and I mm-hmm. am part of it and I talk to you about it, but just like when people started telling their birth stories on the podcast, it was just like, it's, it's a world that I never really entered because yeah. no one gets to tell their story for an hour, unless I'm asking them like a medical history, but then it's very pointed. Like what happened, you know, what happened next? What happened next? What happened next? Whereas someone just gets to like free talk and how it made them feel and how they recovered and how it affected them later in life. That's awesome. Like I was so, I was so moved by all that. Like I really love it. And so those podcasts I'm very, very proud of. And I think a lot of people also gain from that. Just all these like themes, you know, about, you know, fear and about guilt and about happiness and appreciation and like all these things that are very deep topics that come out with someone's because the birth is like for many people it's the event of their life whether it should or shouldn't be whatever but it is for a lot of people and to get to talk about that's really been pretty cool for me that's awesome i like that yeah Yeah. and i like getting you know bringing people on talking to them (laughs) either people i already know or new people it's just uh it's 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 been i'm a schmoozer i like i like to talk (laughs) so it works it works for me it works for my personality all right well thank you for letting me take over your podcast good job milka first ever guest host i big shoes to fill but i hope i did okay great job milka thank you thank you guys thank you for listening to the healthful woman podcast To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.